Hi friends! Welcome to Charlie and Steve Watch Stuff, and today we are watching Saltburn. A hard left turn from all of the cartoon bat content that we've served you thus far. Joining me as always, he just got back from hydrating himself in the bathtub. It's my good friend, Charlie Peppers. Charlie, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. That dirty bath water just always does the body right. Gotta love that dirty water, as they say in my old hometown of Boston. And we are also joined by a very special guest today. I'm very excited to introduce another special guest onto the Charlie and Steve Watch Stuff podcast. I'd like to welcome on the host of Slayer Fest 98 and the co-host of My Bloody Judy. It's Ian Carlos Crawford. Ian, thank you so much for joining us on Charlie Hi, and Steve boys. Watch Stuff. Thank you for having me. I got a prop because I needed to bring it up. It's Jacob Elordi's bathwater candle. Oh my God. <laughs> the, the first moment I've ever regretted not being a video podcast is this <laughs> moment right here. My goodness. Well, Ian, thank you again for joining us. I would love to just take a moment and uh, have you introduce yourself to our audience of uh, who you are, where they can find you. The floor is now officially yours. I'm a podcast host. I freelance write. I'm a professor, but you can find Slayerfest 98 is started as a Buffy rewatch podcast, but now we cover anything kind of like nerdy and or gay. Like I've been thinking of doing a episode on Saltburn and My Bloody Judy is a horror podcast I do with my best friend, uh, Zachary Patton Garcia. And he also sometimes co-hosts Slayerfest with me. Yeah. And you can find us on all socials and all that and Spotify, YouTube, all those places. And we will make sure that our show notes have all of those YouTubes and links and all of those places that you can go find it. Very quickly, what are you a professor in? Oh, writing. I teach writing? intro to writing, yeah. Very cool. That's awesome. I, I, I love, I just have a lot of respect for teachers because I don't have the patience for it. So people that do, I, I really respect. I'm going to cut in just to pump Ian up a bit more. Ian's being <laughs> humble. Ian's also a talented writer. And one of the things that makes Ian's podcast so good to listen to not only does he love the things that he consumes and that he talks about he has such an understanding of the emotional lives of all the characters and the shows and the things that he goes on about for example one of my favorite things to listen for in your podcast is the way that you talk about cordelia chase's character growth trajectory it's I'm so glad that y'all are covering Angel now because I'm not only jazzed to see what your thoughts are on your welcome all the way in season five and you just you just wrap season two, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm very I'm very interested to see what your Cordelia your thoughts and all of your Fred thoughts are going forward. I, I I am excited, like, for season three, that's what I'm excited to talk about, because, like, you know, we finally get Fred. She's there in season two at the end, but she's not really, like, a fully formed character. And I think Cordelia, they've already started her arc, but I do think season three is when they really, like, lean into, like, ooh, look, she is becoming a full hero, like, almost like a co-main character. Oh, absolutely. I am obsessed with her learning how to fight. I love Billy, that episode, so much. Yes. Parts of it, I don't think, have aged quite as well. But I think that that could also be part of the point of that episode. I don't think that parts of that episode are supposed to age well. I'm, I'm excited about the work you do. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate that. Charlie, Charlie, who is thriving, I appreciate you ever, like, pumping me up. So I appreciate it. 
I feel the exact same way. And I also 12 out of 10 recommend starting a podcast with one of your best friends because that's how Charlie and Steve Watch Stuff came together. And we're having a lot of fun doing that so far. So make sure you check out both of My Bloody Judy and Slayer Fest 98. You kind of just got a little preview into Slayer Fest 98 right there. So if you liked that little conversation, you're definitely going to like all the conversations that Ian has over there. And so before we jump into the movie itself, I'd actually, you kind of touched into it a little bit. Ian or Charlie, you can go first. I'd love to hear about how you two know each other, how you got connected. The whole point of this podcast are friends talking about stuff that they watch together. So I would love to hear about how you two became friends. I I don't remember. I think I just loved you from afar because of your work that you do on Slayer Fest. And I might have DM'd you or like complimented something. So. How did we first connect? What's your memory of that? I don't remember the first time, but I know that you were very, very nice about my podcast. And I was like, oh, this guy's so sweet and so nice. And then we became friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I also, Ian is a big action figure collector like me. So that was another thing that stood out. Me and Steve are both massive nerds. And at some point, Ian, I need to pick your brain about how you find these specific figures that you find. Because... I do all of my action figure shopping. I'm such a bad gay on Amazon. <laughs> don't don't come for me. So I don't know how to like get the best prices and the best deals. And also Amazon's evil. We'll unpack that later. I mean, unfortunately, Amazon usually does have the cheaper prices. I I'll, I'll use, I'm a big eBay gal. Like usually eBay. Like I'm very good at like. The way people open, like, Twitter or Grindr is how I open eBay. Like, I will just mindlessly <laughs> scroll through eBay. And, like, I have a zillion different, like, wish lists that I don't ever, like, I'll buy one out of every, like, hundred things I put on a, like, category. But my big thing is, and me and my best friend Zach always talk about this, like, the best way to do that is I will, like, because, you know, it notifies the person if you put it on a list or, like, you liked the item they listed. Even if it's something that I'm like, I, this is ridiculously priced, I will like it just in case they give me a deal because sometimes they'll like if it's not selling they'll send you a like sometimes it'll be like a ridiculous like 50 cents off but sometimes it will be like 40 percent off of the item and then i'll buy it and so that's like always my like anything you remotely like and then maybe they'll send you a deal even if it looks like a ridiculous price and that's usually how i do that and like i am always looking for like, ooh, will I use this for an image later on in the podcast? Like, will mm. this be something I could use? And that's kind of spend way too much money on it still. But, you know. <laughs> no, but it adds to your happiness. I read this article that said that having a shrine or a collection of any kind, it boosts your quality of life because you're surrounding yourself with things that bring you joy. So you're good. You can still afford your rent. I read something about that, that it was like a lot of our generation, it's become more common for like our generation to still collect like toys and stuff like that because it's like, we can't afford a home. So we buy, you know, other shit that makes us happy. <laughs> Absolutely. My home is just going to be oh, made hurts. of Legos in this economy. <laughs> yeah. Just make a home of Legos. <laughs> it hurts, but it's so true. Well, thank you for taking us down that little memory lane of connection. I, I, and 
look at that podcasting creating community it's a beautiful <laughs> thing so let's let's get into the reason why we're here today i was down in la this past week i had a wonderful trip down to los angeles i live up in san francisco i took the opportunity to catch a flight down there and uh, a couple of my best friends from college lives down there charlie obviously lives down there i got to see a bunch of people and charlie hits me up when i told him that i was coming and he goes well do you want to come to a screening of this movie saltburn Charlie's in the Writers Guild, and he was invited to a four-year consideration screening of Saltburn. I'm sure you've been invited to other four-year consideration screenings as well, but it just worked out that he was able to get me on the guest list for this one. And so we were like, well, let's content the shit out of this. We're going to go to this screening. We get to hang out together, and we get to go to this movie and pot about it after. So we got to see this movie in person together in Los Angeles. And not only did we get to see this movie together in person in Los Angeles, there was a talk back afterwards with the writer and director Emerald Fennell and the producer Margot Robbie, just casually sharing the room in the air with Margot Robbie and Rosamund Pike, who played the mother of Felix. And so we got to see this all together. Charlie got to, and Charlie had seen it once before this. I had seen it for the first time. So Charlie had the privilege of knowing what was coming. And so I kind of felt him looking at me anytime there was an opportunity. (laughs) to take genuine reactions to what was happening on screen. We'll talk about those few times, I'm sure. But from here, I want to, Charlie, feel free to talk about any of the stuff that I I just kind of covered in terms of the groundwork of what we were doing. But I want to pass the ball to you and and let you take us through this wondrous adventure that was Saltburn. Yeah, let me take you through the Saltburn estate, if we will. I... I have more thoughts about that talkback session and reading your reactions as well, but I'll save those for the very end. I am also going to just let our listeners know that I read the screenplay for Saltburn, and in my notes I have some really interesting character descriptions and bits of action that I thought were really illuminating that I'm going to throw in every now and then as we're moving through it just to get your thoughts on it because I think it heightens the viewing experience of the movie and I just want to hear what you both think about them. We open on the face of an older Oliver and he is in this nondescript black room and the first thing that he says is, I wasn't in love with him and that first line sets the tone of the movie because we think we think that we're going into a love story and i would also argue that the first act of the film is a love story in some regard but whether it's a friendship love story a romantic love story or a psychosexual love story is up for debate and i think that knife's edge walk is really what makes the first act fire on all cylinders for me but I want to go through a few different scenes and I'm gonna stop every now and then to get your thoughts on them because I just think that so much of this first act in this movie in general is just so delicious so after we get the flash forward to Oliver as an older man we go back to him it's the early 2000s he is at Oxford he doesn't quite belong he's seeing all the other students he has foppish hair we feel really bad for him then he sees felix and the way that the script describes felix i want to share it this is the character description oliver takes in every detail of him the shattering beauty the moth-eating jumper the easy smile the posture farley might be the one talking 
but Felix is clearly the gleaming center of the universe, a superstar on arrival. He doesn't mean to be. It's just always been that way. So, Steve, Ian, I want your thoughts. When you first watched Saltburn, did you think that this was love at first sight? And did you assume that these two were going to be boyfriends? So, the internet, as always, led me astray on this because I thought I was going into a, like, more, like, weird call-me-by-your-name. That's what the, inter the mm. internet, like, so many people have no media literacy or know how to interpret movies, and so many people were like, can you believe they don't even kiss? And I was like, wait, it's a love story and they don't kiss? That is stupid. And then I watched the movie and it's like, yeah, fucking makes sense they don't kiss. What are you, stupid? Like, <laughs> like it's not about them falling in love, but I do think he was like, I don't know if you've, uh, like... <clears throat> I am of an age where, like, you know, when I was a teen, there wasn't, like, it was, like, I would get, like, infatuated with a guy, but, like, there was no yes. chance. I was never hooking up with the guy. And that's what this immediately reminded me of, like, me in, like, 1999, like, thinking I was in love or whatever with whatever straight guy that was, like, in my orbit and was nice to me um, and also attractive, right? And I feel like that was immediately was getting when I, like... Got into the movie, I was like, maybe they will, like, hook up once. Because also mm. there's those straight guys where it's like, oh, you hook up once, and then they just, like, they're good. They don't need to then do it Then they're like, again. not for me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I thought maybe that's what we would get at most. Yeah, I don't know. For me, it immediately read as, like, that unrequited infatuation. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I, I think the, especially in the first act, I think Barry, Oliver, Ollie does an incredible job of looking at Felix with a lot of love in his eyes. They do, he, he acts, I mean, he acts the shit out of this thing the entire time, but in that first act specifically, like it's very doe-eyed. It's very like you can, maybe it's meant to play this way that the audience is supposed to see how head over heels he is for this guy and we're the only people that can see it because clearly no one else around him can really see it and I think they do a good job of leading into that and that definitely circumnavigated and we'll get to like the the end of the plot obviously when we get there but it it certainly had me going in one direction until you kind of realize that it's turning in the other direction which I do think is sort of the point as well. I think that it's complicated. I think that there's definitely a level of infatuation like Ian said to yes and what you said and I think that all of the other things that are revealed come after the infatuation. I don't think that he came to the school specifically because he knew that this person was going to be there and that everything was super calculated. I think that Felix just being stunningly beautiful caught his attention first and all of the darker stuff followed. So I would say that if we were going to place, if we were gonna place Oliver on the queer spectrum, he's kind of giving me pan. I think that he's pansexual if he's yeah. anything. And I think that he might be a bit incapable of like the healthy attachment that you would need to make it move past that. I, would, yeah, I fully agree with that, yeah. Yeah, he, he, he's definitely, he's giving, he's a complicated person that definitely has a personality disorder somewhere. Moving forward, the big inciting incident of the movie is when Oliver stumbles across Felix, and it's their first one-on-one -on -one conversation, and 
Felix's bike tire got a flat. Oliver very generously says, you can take my bike. And Felix does that polite thing of, no, no, mate, no, no. Are you sure? Are you sure? Oh my God, I love you. I, I love you. And then he leans forward and he plants a kiss on the top of his helmet. And he rides off on his bike as Oliver watches him disappear on the horizon. What do we think of the chemistry between these two actors, zooming out past the characters? Like, did they do the thing when it came to just selling the energy between these two creatures? So this is my first interaction with Jacob Elordi too, and it, 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 and like I haven't got, I haven't watched Euphoria or any of the other stuff that he's been in, and Steven, I, me too, me too. Great. This is my first like acting thing I saw him in. <laughs> Not bad. Definitely not bad in every respect. But I I knew those people in high school where if like they gave me the time of day in a friendly manner, I don't know if I would have been able to like handle my shit. Or if I like did, I would have walked away and like been like, yes, oh my god. Ian let you know I am unfortunately straight, which I know, I, my mistake. Many people tell me it's one of my flaws. But it, it, just from... You know, being an, an awkward person who's desperate to make friends, especially when you can identify someone as like, oh, if this person likes me, then I must be cool, which that C word is so huge when you're younger. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> as we all just sit here not giving a fuck about what's cool now or just whatever's cool to us, hopefully at this point in our lives. So I like beyond the obvious romantic and, as you said, psychosexual stuff that begins to happen coming off from this like i felt that specifically in their meeting like if i was in ollie's place and if that happened to me with someone i've been admiring from afar that i thought their friendship would like affirm me in some sort of way that would be huge for me and so i i felt that in that moment for sure so funny enough i watched it for the first time with my straight best friend like he came over he was like down for the holidays and I was like, do you want to watch Saltburn with me? I haven't watched it yet. I've been really dying to see it. Now it's on, like, Prime. And he was like, yeah, sure. And it was very funny watching him react to a lot of these scenes. And I, I did assume that you were straight. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's so funny. When I saw this scene, I was watching it with my adult brain a little bit. And a lot of the qualities that Felix has... When, of course, paired in Jacob Elordi's body, which, god damn, I've seen Euphoria, and he plays such a despicable character that I, of course, know that objectively, empirically, he is an attractive man. Right. This is the first time I've watched him in something and have been aware of that in my body, for lack of a better term. I was just like... Yeah, if I was in Oliver's place after that, I definitely would have tried to fuck this character. <laughs> okay. But Charlie, don't you feel like even now you would have that, like, even now I would have that reaction. Like, I am freaking 40 and I would yeah. be like, ooh, this, like, hot, tall man is, like, being so nice to me. Ooh, like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At, at the Q&A, I think Emerald the director she said that for a man being tall is like having big breasts for a woman which <laughs> i don't disagree but also yeah. like there are some hideous tall men in the world too right. so let's yes. Yes. you gotta be you have to be attract like a couple more things have to line up it can't just be being tall you know i had someone be like oh he's not attractive he's just tall and i'm like no he is hot and tall <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. lethal combo 
It's a lethal combo, lethal combo. So after that, we get this really great scene where Oliver runs into Felix at the bar with one of Felix's friends, and it's never, I don't know how clear the script is about this, but I think Farley is a second or third cousin of some sort. Farley, the the curly-haired, mixed-race character who is very well played by that actor. I love that character. I love to hate him. What did we think of Farley? So I I just saw Gran Turismo not too long ago, and the guy who plays Farley is the lead character in that movie, and he's like this like poor British kid that's trying to be a race car driver, but he's just a video gamer, and he's like very whiny and like has this whole growth arc, so watching him as Farley was very against the green. It was very, very different, and I loved it. Like, it showed a lot of range for the kids, so if you've never seen Gran Turismo, I, I, I guess I recommend it. It's not good. It just, like, if you like cars going fast and being loud, then it's something to watch, but <laughs> I, I think it was hard for me to separate the whole time. I was just like, he's he was very sinister and very conniving, if you will. I think he... I think he was maybe representing us Americans a little bit in the eyes of, mm. of the Brits, if you will. But yeah, I, it was hard for me to kind of separate that the entire time just because it was so recent that I saw this movie that I was like, oh man, this kid was just playing video games like last week. Did any of you see the movie Pearl? No, how was it? Okay, so I do like that movie a lot. I feel like it's like a rotten Disney movie, which makes me like it. But Mia Goth plays the main character and she is like fully unhinged. And the thing I liked about that it wasn't like a favorite, but I did like it a lot. And the thing I really liked about that movie, which is true in this movie, is that we, the mother is like really, you hate her mom. And then in the end, her mom is right. Like her mom keeps saying like, there's something wrong with my daughter, blah, blah, blah. And like her mom is also awful because she like kind of abuses her and is terrible to her. But everything the mother says ends up being right in the end because we know that's a horror movie. So she ends up killing a bunch of people. And the mother like, is saying there's something evil in her daughter, and then her daughter does go on a murder spree. And so I like that about Farley, that he's kind of an asshole, but he's also right. Like, I like that he clocks Oliver immediately. Like, I don't think he's just, oh, I don't like him. Like, I think he doesn't like him because he clocks it. And that's what I really like, that he's able to be like, this character is not really that likable. We don't, he's kind of a jerk very much and immediately a jerk right and but i think he just clocked oliver from the beginning and that's why he like one of the reasons he didn't like him oh yeah yeah there's this incredible scene where oliver and farley have the same tutor and they're both showing their essays and farley kind of tilts his head after oliver says his essay and oliver says what's the matter farley says you use the word thus in your essay a lot. It just, it's interesting. It feels a little put on, but good for you. And that, (laughs) it's a very small scene, but I thought that that was a very great kernel to show that Farley is definitely picking up on the phoniness of it all. And I just, I love a character that can be both an asshole, like, Charlie, to reference something, I know that, like, Gail Weathers in Scream, she's allowed to be an asshole, but she's always right, right? In every one of these movies, every Scream movie, Gail Weathers is right. And I love that. We love a, like, nuance to a character. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Farley has an edge. Farley 
is highly watchable. Loved having him in the movie. Definitely yeah. has a heart, but it's covered in a lot of ice. Oliver gets into the gang. He gets drinks with Felix in the group. Felix is a sweetheart and pretends that Oliver dropped $20 when he can't afford the round. That Farley very cruelly says, oh no, go pay for it. You can't get out of paying for this round. Then we go into this beautiful montage of Oliver and Felix dancing and drinking and partying with each other, which again, act one is very much framed like a love story. They're divulging secrets to each other. Oliver says that he didn't have the greatest childhood and that he at one point had to put two fingers down his mom's throat when he was eight years old just to get her to vomit up because she was that much of an addict. And we can see Felix's interest in Oliver just growing because this is somebody, speaking of Felix, Felix strikes me as somebody who loves broken things, for lack yeah. of a better term, and that is the opening that Oliver completely exploits. And I want to speak about one moment at the end of this montage that's really illuminating. The moment when Oliver watches Felix have sex through the window. I am wondering if when this happened, you both kind of looked at it like, what is going on? Or or if you dismissed it because we still thought that this was going to be a weird call me by your name. That part for me, I, I think it's like lust and infatuation at that point that's what it was for me same i i still was going because like call me by your name i do think even though it was a mutual i do think it's it's a love story but also it's about lust and obsession right because they become mm -hmm. so like ingrained in each other and it's like what one summer right so i did buy. i still was like yeah that tracks like he's so obsessed with this guy that he's like Oh, what's he doing? Oh, he's having sex? Well, I might as well watch, you know, like. But then I did have trouble placing how old Barry Keegan looks both like he could be 24, but also my age. Um, So I kept having trouble being like, are they teens? Are they like 19? They're in college. I did have trouble placing because Jacob Elordi looks younger than he actually is. Mm. And Barry Keegan looks more like adult-ish. Not to say anyone looks like old quote-unquote but i did have trouble placing their ages because i was like eh, this makes sense if this is like an 18 or 19 year old who like is infatuated with this like tall hot straight guy and then he's like looking to see if he can see through his window and then happens uh come upon them having sex and is like yeah i'll watch that makes a little bit more sense i don't know i i just feel like when you're that obsessed and infatuated you like all sense like goes out the window right even if you're the most like normally level-headed person Agreed. and we know that he wasn't to start and yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> he wasn't he wasn't the way that emerald wrote it in the script during that moment she said watchful clever obsessed spying on felix in india from the shadows one bright jealous eye caught in the light so she definitely in the writing of it then in the directing of it wanted the audience to kind of catch the foreshadowing that this guy wasn't all right but very smartly as we go into the second act we're pulled in the other direction because oliver comes to felix crying hysterically because his dad smacked his head on the pavement drunk 
bled all over the place, and now he doesn't have a father. Cries in Felix's arms, says that he doesn't have anyone. It's so sad. Felix is softening toward him even more and just being a good friend. And eventually, Felix, feeling a mixture of maybe pity or just really a sense of responsibility for his pal, says, why don't you come spend the summer with me and my family at Saltburn? And Oliver doesn't protest too much before, all right, I'll do that. So what do we think was going on in Felix's head? How do we think Felix saw this person? Like, did he pity him? Did he genuinely like him? What was going on in his head? I forgot I wanted to mention one thing. I think it's the tutor scene, right? Mm-hmm. When they're both in the same room and the tutor's like, oh, I knew your mother. She, We went here at the same time to Farley. And he's like, oh, I'll have to let her know. And the guy's like, oh, no, she she didn't know me. I, you know, it was, I knew her from afar. I do feel like, her. yeah, like I do feel like there's a lot of things in this movie that are telling you this is what the movie's about. And I do really like that. And I I just, you know, I forgot about that scene until I rewatched it today. And I was like, oh shit, I forgot that like, they tell you that's what it's going to be this early on. So I did, I really, really liked that. And the tutor is like, you know, he's like this like distinguished Oxford guy. So it's not like someone you're like, oh, they're unhinged. It's just like, oh, he really liked Farley's mom, but was just obsessed with her and or infatuated with her and never actually it was a little crush yeah 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 and like those things do still happen as an adult right sometimes you'll say something and be like oh i don't actually want that person to know that because that's embarrassing that like embarrassing thing i did when i was a teen but so felix i do feel like felix is a very specific type of straight guy that i feel like i fell in love with like four of these type of guys when i was like 19 or (laughs) right And I think there's a specific type of straight guy that does love the attention, but doesn't have any intentions of, like, fucking you or dating you or anything. And I don't, and I always think it's subconscious. I don't think they're like, ooh, let me seek out this gay guy who will give me attention and be like my backup partner for when, until I date a girl and then I will throw them in the trash. But there's a, there's a meme going around. I saw it's like Andy from Toy Story throwing his toys and it says, like, straight guy over Andy. And then it's, like, the toys being thrown. And it's, like, the gay friend when they get a girlfriend. And I feel oh, like... No. <laughs> <laughs> Apologies, Stephen. But I feel like that is very accurate. Um, and I've had that happen numerous times when I was, like, 19, 20. And so that's what I feel like. Felix is, I think, that straight guy who maybe would have hooked up with Oliver once. Maybe. If Oliver hadn't have gotten so crazy so fast i think he probably could have hooked up with him maybe once when they were drunk or doing drugs um, but that would have probably been it and felix strikes me as a type of guy that he likes you know i mean you said he likes broken things they mention when he brings oliver that like the other one right and so i do feel like felix probably is the nice guy who's kind of an asshole but he's a nice guy in general so he takes in these people like Oliver or like this other friend that he brought home who ended up like having sex with his sister or whatever. He like takes in these like cases so he can feel like, oh, look, I'm a good guy. I take in these people. Mm -hmm. But he likes to having people like quote unquote under him, for lack of better words. Yes. And I think that that's all he knows, you know, I mean, to skip forward a little bit, 
there is this one scene that speaks to that the breakfast scene where oliver comes in and he says oh can i have some eggs and everybody looks at him like he's crazy but in front of felix he has like a king's breakfast with a lot of things on his plate i think that was very much a game of you are low on the pecking order don't ask for a specific breakfast that is only a thing that the family proper can do not guests who are overstaying their welcome so i think that that's another example of felix's privilege and him being a nice guy with a lot of privilege that he's unaware of like if felix were a real person and he were alive during the blm protest i think that he would be one of the white guys it's like what privilege no i don't see race at all what do you mean like i so i think he's that kind of but still would have put it in his like twitter bio (laughs) he still would have put it in his twitter bio he'd been like yeah black lives matter i just uh, uh, white 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 lives for white white men for black lives matter which is also great but yeah i think that that would have been a mind fuck for him but Moving on to the second act, Oliver gets the salt burn, is immediately taken in by just the grandeur of it all, how immaculate this house is, the way everything looks. Margot Robbie at the talkback said that finding this house was very difficult. They didn't want to shoot somewhere where anything else had been filmed before, so they really wanted this house to be its own character. I think they largely succeeded every room of that house has personality it feels large just it it feels like the kind of place where if i went i would be afraid of touching anything and leaving like finger smudges on it it's it's like old old money and the characters who inhabit that house are extensions of the house i don't think that the people in the house are versions of themselves that they would be outside of the house i think that the house does something to everybody in it this isn't a supernatural story but i think that saltburn and just what it represents brings out something in all of the characters and i think that that is most showcased in the scene in the library where they're all watching super bad and you're introduced to the lovely Rosamund Pike, who plays Elspeth, Felix's mother, and you have Sir James, his father, and you have Carrie Mulligan's character, who is the freeloading friend, who is also fucking hilarious, because she is slowly growing aware that she's overstayed her welcome, and it's making her super awkward. Yeah, the family's very interesting, but they're also talking behind Oliver's back and not being the nicest people when we first meet them, and Oliver overhears them. Ian, I have a very fun question for you. So, if Spike were to meet Felix's family at Saltburn, who would he kill, who would he shag, and who would he turn? Ooh, I think he would be attracted to the mom i think he would have sex with the mom mm, same i think what? <laughs> i think and i also think he might be into jacob alordi too like he might turn jacob alordi and the sister 
and then everyone else gets murdered. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Spike always reads as, like, a little queer to me, so I feel like... Oh, for sure. For sure, for sure. Uh, yeah, I think that, that would be interesting. I think that at first he would take pity on Oliver, but P- Spike is really perceptive, so I think yeah. he would see through Oliver very quickly, and I think that he would be scared of turning Oliver into a vampire. Because Oliver, yes. as a vampire, would be fucking unhinged. He barely has yeah. a soul right now. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> so that would be really interesting. But yeah, the mom, the mom's character, the way she was described in the script, it went, draped over the sofa is Felix's mother, Elspeth Catton, 40s, a former model and socialite whose eccentricities and bohemian clothes only marginally obscure her snobbishness and inability to face anything close to reality. With that description, I think Roseman fucking ate, and that's definitely what came across on the screen. And as we press forward in the story, we just see, of course, Oliver and Felix getting closer, they're having these beautiful moments with each other, and we eventually reach the infamous bathtub scene. I'm not even, and if viewer, listeners are listening to this, I assume they've seen it as well. I just want to dive into what both of your thoughts were watching that the first time. Were you put off? Were you just, did you have to take a trip to the bathroom to kind of like (laughs) get yourself together? Like, like give me all the tea. Steven, I want your reaction first. Oh, sure. So I, and hopefully Charlie can back this up. I have like a wide range of, I think I do a really good job of being accepting and understanding of everybody's yums and everything like that. I've, you know, you, straight white kid from Connecticut, that's probably like, a, you're not getting exposed exposed to the most from there, but I've, I've tried really hard since then to you know, understand and expose myself to, to more stuff and, and living in San Francisco, going to Emerson College, living on the West Coast in general has helped with a lot of that stuff. That said, when I say that I could tell that Charlie was watching me for physical reactions, this is the first time that I felt him giggling next to me because I was like, and I was saying this to my partner, Aaron, as I was talking to her about it, I was like, she's seen it too. I was just pushed all the way up in my chair, just kind of being like, oh, we're doing this. We're doing it. Okay, so we're doing it. We're like up until the part where he starts slurping the water, I was 100% like, yeah, this is this tracks basically based on everything that we've seen so far. If he's going to watch him have sex with a girl, he's definitely going to watch him masturbate. So right. like all especially if we're still on the track of thinking that this is someone who is obsessed and has a lot of lust for this person and if that's the closest he's going to get, then of course he's going to take it. <laughs> just i wasn't expecting it and that's it's as simply as i can put it is that i wasn't expecting it and they went all the way and i appreciate that they didn't hold back and so i am i am i'm stronger and better for it <laughs> so i watched it with my straight best friend and he like gagged be- not because he's like so grossed <laughs> out by like come but he was like that drain is dirty like oh my god what else is he eating from that drain and i was like but I still thought it was fucking hot. Like, I thought it was so hot. And so did either of you read the book Call Me By Your Name? You know, I almost got through it, but I didn't finish it. It's kind of boring. But there (laughs) is a scene in the book where... I'm going to forget which one is which. Which one's Timothy Chalamet? Is he Elio? Uh, He's Elio. Elio goes to look 
at the other guy's poop in the toilet. Ew. And I hate it. And I hate it. And I feel like this was a better version of that. Because it was supposed to be like, this is how obsessed he is with him. He wants to look at his poop. And like that, for me, I'm like... I remember reading that and being like, that's just fucking gross. Like, I wasn't like, but I was like, I, also, if someone leaves a poop in the toilet and you look at it, you're just like, oh, that's there. Let me flush. But like, I can't see like purposely like. Also, it. that makes me hate that character. Not like the <laughs> Timothy Chalamet character. Yeah, that's gross, dude. But also you're in somebody's house in Italy. You can't fucking flush, sir, <laughs> sir. Not only like, did you wipe your ass? Did you did you just get up after dropping a whole turd in this gorgeous home? Oh no, baby, no. It's, it's like it bothered me so much because I was like, is this what a straight dude? Because it's written by a straight man. I was like, is this what straight men think gay guys like obsess over? But like the drinking of the cum, not that I'm obsessing over drinking someone's cum out of a fucking gross drain, but for like what for the purposes of this movie that drain is probably very clean is my mind goes oh. to like everything in that mansion is a gorgeous i'm sure those drains are cleaner than any of our drains would be right like ever yeah. whatever and like because it was an old tiny bathtub i was able to at least like be like it's probably sitting at the top there like the like cum and everything it's probably like he's not like digging in around but my i will say my my straight best friend was like that drains are disgusting. Oh, oh, I can't look at this. Like he like had to look away because he thought it was so gross. But I'm always into the infatuation part. Maybe that says something about me. But I, yeah, oh, I thought Ian, it was fucking hot. Ian, maybe it says something about me because I'm right there <laughs> with you. You, you are not alone. So that's why we get I, along so well. Charlie. Yeah, that's why we get along so so well. I thought that was so damn sexy, and maybe it's because I've just consumed so much porn. Just like we all have. Like, come on, who doesn't watch porn? I, in my head, this was kind of the moment when I realized that it wasn't a love or infatuation story, because there is no way in hell that a gay man who is into a guy in that situation well okay in respect of boundaries i would just walk away <laughs> but i would also my behavior would kind of change around that person afterward i'd be like not only do i have a crush on you i caught you jerking off and now i have that image in my head i think <laughs> if he were and again i know that earlier i said he's definitely on the pan spectrum i think that this sexuality aside shows that his intentions weren't romantic or sexual in nature he was playing a long game for nefarious purposes i think that this is what gave it away for me at first when i saw it not with you steve but before that because somebody who was in love with somebody to put it past the sexual part would have reacted differently to that what do you think i i i, I disagree because i don't think, think someone who's like i want to i don't think someone who's like being nefarious and like has mal intent and wants to murder this person is drinking their cum out of a drain like that doesn't for me that's not like oh look they're gonna kill the person they're drinking their cum out of a drain for me that's like they are so demented and like overly infatuated that they are doing this and that they are unhinged because they are doing it but they are very much infatuated i agree with what you said maybe i wasn't being clear enough i 
think that the fact that he wasn't shy around him after that, like oh, drinking like, his okay. cum aside, like uh, okay, like the fact that he wasn't like oh hi or butterflies in the stomach after that, kind of gave him away to me. Like oh shit, this isn't somebody that's like really into him. It is somebody to your point that has a different play going on. That's what I meant. Mm. I mean, that's fair. The first time I gave a straight guy a hand job, I remember I was very awkward the next day and they were fine. And I was like, <laughs> I was like very worried they were going to be like, well, now it's weird, but they were like completely fine. And I was more weird just because I was worried about like what, I don't know. I felt more weird than, than he did. And I think right, about that a lot. Like I, right. I remember feeling weird. <laughs> You're invested. You, like, you're wondering what it means. Building upon that, though, I do, so, and, like, I am too extremely online is my problem. I just recently deleted Twitter off my phone. Um, But, like, everyone on Twitter is so annoying about this movie. And, like, I do, I mean, like, I know we're all in agreement here, but, like, everyone is like, well, because of the end, he never cared about him. And it was always a plot to get to. So I don't think that's the case at all. Hmm. I think it became the case, but I don't think, I think he was infatuated with Jacob Elordi. I don't think he like put a, he like slashed his tire because he was like, I'm going to murder his family and take over Saltburn. I think he did it because he was like, this will make him interact with me and I will be nice. And I will be the person who saves him and gives him the bike. Um, hmm. And I think eventually when he realized it was almost never going to be returned is when he was like, well, I'm going to murder the family. (laughs) Okay. You know what? Ian, I like that read better than my read. (laughs) Not going to lie. That's a better read on it because it's also more organic and it happens throughout the story rather than I'm like, I'm looking at Oliver as this calculated person who maybe didn't have the plan all at once, but definitely by the end of Act 1 was putting things together. Yeah. But what he does to Vernita when he sees her outside the window is, again, just so... Okay, what do we think his play was with just fingering her underneath the window and then making her eat her menstrual blood and then licking his fingers on it, which... I am not one of those men who thinks that periods are gross. I think that the female body and all of its cycles are beautiful, but I just think that his character came at it from such an angle of taking control of her and wanting to just kind of wind her up like a toy so that he could kind of have a person that wasn't obstructing him from Felix. Like, what did you make of that? I thought it was deeply manipulative. So I want to jump off of what Ian was just talking about in terms of like the whole progression of Oliver's plan, where it starts as, and I think it did start as just infatuation. I'm I'm in some sort of lust love with this person, and when Oliver arrives to Saltburn and sees all of it for himself, and starts to see the scope of all of the things that he's now in a better position than he to acquire than he was before, which like. I guess spoilers for the end, he does get the house. But there's mention of Vernicia, Vernita, and her mention of, oh, like, you're just like the last one, or she says, she mentions the yeah. last one before. So I think he, want, A, immediately clocks her as a threat, and then what you said about kind of showing, asserting dominance over her and getting her out of the way as someone that's going to, like, put a wedge between him and Felix. 
because the he I think at this point he's still trying to and and there is a point coming up where I think he does switch into okay I'm just gonna kill them all and take their shit but I don't think that's happened yet so I think he's still trying to position himself as close to Felix as possible and that was his play to kind of like disarm Vernita yeah I I fully agree with that. I think if Felix had fucked him and been like, hey, I'm in love with you, I don't think he would have killed any of them. I think he would have been like, great, we're mm. all good. Like, yeah. I think he would have been fine. Um, and I I think, yeah, I think him doing that with the sister, which also I think is hot. Because I think the yeah. thing is, listen, I think anything that can border on like a little too much, I'm down for. I'm like, this is kind of hot. Like, it's like a little bit gross when you see it, like the like... Only because it's, and again, I'm not someone who's like, Ugh, because I also did this as a teenager when I experimented with heterosexuality. And it was like, fine. I mean, it looked like a murder scene afterwards, but it was like, fine. And I didn't, no one ate it though. And like, that's where it's like a little more taboo and a little bit more like pushing boundaries. And anything that's like that, I'm like, yeah, I'm down for it. And like the fact that he is so confident about it, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course you, of course you do it. Cause this guy's like doing all this shit and like yeah but i do think that wasn't like oh i'm i really want to fuck the sister it was more of a like i need to control everyone to get what i want and this is a way to control her because he even like tries to like tell her she's no longer gonna have an eating disorder right like he's like right yo tomorrow you're gonna eat this food and you're gonna like swallow it and he, that's it there's no like maybe we'll do this or he's just like telling her what she's gonna do and I think that's also a credit to his acting because he does the awkward so well and he, like, turns it on when he needs to turn it on because he's, like, a, and I'm not using this as, like, a jokey term, but he's a legit sociopath, right? Like, he is both awkward and, like, infatuated with Jacob Elordi's character, but also is unhinged and wants to be in control, complete control of the situation, which is why he says things to the mom, like... Well, it must be hard growing up with a mother as gorgeous as you. And he looks at her like he is going to fuck her. Oh, he looks at the mom. and she receives it. She is yes, thrown she and she's confused. But at the end of the scene, she's like, oh, I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. I think the mom probably, from, especially after what he heard them talking about Michelle Williams' character, I think he knew that the mom was a little bit more vicious than the kids. But like in a in a polite rich white lady way, right? Where she's right. like, "Oh, the the poor thing," but oh, she's a bore. And like he did not want the mother saying any of that about him, and he made sure she did not. Yeah, yeah, and that pays off in a big way by the end yeah. of the film as well. And before, and I know, I mean, if we're talking about asserting dominance and using your sexuality to control people, we can. I, you know, I know your next note is about the interaction with Farley. Um, I just want to shout out. I mean, if we're talking about wonderful shots in the bathtub, that scene of him with the bloody mouth sinking under the water and the camera tracking him under the water and him smiling as the blood starts to float off of his face, probably my favorite shot in the entire movie. That one really stuck with me. I really, really like that, and I think it kind of started to show like how i mean you kind of see how fucked up he is but i think like this the smart sinister of him starts to really shine through right there so i I really really like that moment and i think i think we've skipped over the scene but i have to mention this because i need to humble brag that i noticed it Mm. at i think at the breakfast scene when they're talking about doppelgangers and felix's doppelganger walks by the window behind the sister and i noticed that 
the first time I watched it and I was very proud of myself because I just happened to be like disassociating, looking behind her. And I was like, wait, the guy who walked by looked just like Felix. He's wearing the same shirt. And then I read that it is on purpose, that there's apparently more than one scene like that where you see that's like the whole point of the movie. Like she Emerald Fennel was like very big on doppelgangers and like there's two versions of you. And apparently there are more. I That's the only one I saw. But yeah, when they're talking about doppelgangers, a guy, it probably is Jacob Alerty, walks by the window wearing the exact same outfit that he's wearing at the dinner table. Interesting. Cool. That's so You know cool. what? I clocked that, but I thought I was high. <laughs> I I thought I was just really stoned. I'm like, oh, did amazing. I? No, I didn't. Uh, that's amazing. Ian, oh, if man. we were reviewing an episode of Batman the Animated Series, what you just did right there, we would have called a Riddler trophy. So well done. You uncovered <laughs> a you. Saltburn Riddler trophy. <laughs> One of the big turning points that we experience, let's talk about that party scene and that karaoke scene specifically. I think that there was a moment of intense chemistry between Oliver and Farley on the couch. And this is why, like, I honestly wanted them to fuck. There was a moment where Oliver said, oh, you can just come to me with these things, you know? I know you fucking hate me. And Farley says, oh, I I don't fucking hate you. And... I think in that moment, if Oliver would have left it alone and not pressed so deep into, oh, I know what it's like, it's all good, like, I also know what it's like to struggle and to have a poor family, I think that that brought up Farley's insecurity and led to, like, the evisceration that we saw in karaoke. I I am curious, this is one of the things I'm not... I feel like maybe Oliver and Farley could have, like, gotten along. Like, I do think Oliver a little... I think Oliver did... It's like, you know, uh, when you, like... It's like, I clock you're crazy because I'm crazy too. And I do clock my own crazy and other people. But, like, I do think that's why Farley was able to clock him right away. But I think Oliver... Right? Farley's the only one Oliver doesn't kill. So I do think Oliver, like like game respects game like i think oliver at least respected him enough not to kill him like right i do think there's a reason he doesn't get murdered and everyone else does and i think it's because oliver almost felt like he related to farley because farley was the outsider in that family even though he was living there farley was still the outsider right like he still you know the way they treated michelle williams are like oh she's she's the poor thing but oh what a bore like Mm -hmm. that's kind of how they treated farley too So I think Oliver, I think it's like they had a mutual respect while also mutual hatred for each other, right? Like Farley wasn't buying any of his shit and Oliver knew he wasn't. I think that that was what made Oliver respect Farley though, because Farley was real. Yeah. Farley was real and he was the only person when Oliver walked into the room after everybody was talking shit about him that said, oh, we were just talking about you. It's shitty. But it's also forthright, you know, and nobody else in that house had the cojones to say, oh, yeah, this is how I feel about you. And Farley was very much on that wavelength, but it started to get to the point where it was going to impede on what the plan was with 
right yeah getting with felix which is why i think he had to go but yeah that karaoke scene was vicious i want to quickly say about the karaoke scene before we get to the sex scene now that like once we get to the end of it and i know how the movie ends i actually think that ollie knew exactly what song he was singing the whole time and quickly calculated that he could turn it into a way to create sympathy amongst the rest of the family and make farley look bad because it was part of the game that they were playing with each other as well so i i actually think he knew exactly what he was doing in that moment and then because he knew exactly what he was doing in that moment, it leads to this next moment that we're going to talk about. Yeah, I like that. I Do you think... All right, so do you think they had full-on sex? Like, did they... Like, what I was going to ask you that, Charlie. <laughs> I don't... I don't know. I... I think... I think that he probably finished Farley. I think that that definitely happened. I don't know if it was reciprocated. Because I don't know if, if I'm getting into Oliver's head, I don't know if he would have opened himself up that way to Farley, because he's all about control. I think that he would have, yeah, yeah, I think that he would have been like, I did this to you, and I was on top. I, because when I, the, the positions they were in, I thought Oliver was bottoming, but was just on top, but I like in retrospect I'm like no I don't think that's what happened like I I think it's supposed to be that Farley's bottoming and Farley probably finished and Oliver didn't care because he was just like I'm doing this to control him so I feel like it was his last attempt at trying to control Farley before he was like nope he's got her go yeah because they do wake up in bed together the next day like when we see the flashbacks it's like he wakes up and he takes his phone to do the thing to set him up right right what do you think Steve also that scene was really hot I do think that scene was really hot it was hot because you see Farley slowly su- giving into it. At first, he's like, get the fuck out of here. Then he's like, I'll behave. Yeah. Steve, what are your yeah, thoughts? Steve, I'm curious. <laughs> I felt things in, in my pan- my pants area. Got a, little, got a little tight. I won't lie about it. I'm sorry, Mom. I know you listen to this. <laughs> this might be the first podcast we have to tag as explicit, and I can't wait. No, I mean, I, I think I kind of mentioned it. I th- we've we've talked a lot about Oliver trying to assert control over people and him being able to do that through sex. And and I think you make a really good point of that being kind of like his latch ditch attempt at controlling Farley because of the real recognized real. And I, I mean, I read it as just like Oliver has crazy hand game. Maybe he like plays a lot of video games in his spare time he's on that (laughs) wasd if you know what i mean but yeah that's that was my read on it that one i did not tense up i would like to say i was very relaxed into it as hopefully charlie could relay so i i can relate you were fine i clocked i was like steve's okay with this scene yeah it, it was definitely it was a moment and i definitely i ship it i ship that more than i ship Oliver and Felix, because I think Oliver and Farley are on equal footing. Listen, my hot take ship is they should have had a threesome. <laughs> Ooh, my yes and or my hot take <laughs> is that Oliver and Vernita, I think that Vernita and Felix definitely had conversations about Oliver behind his back. And I think that oh, Vernita yeah. definitely told Felix, is like, you know, Oliver definitely wants to fuck you. And I think that that conversation happened before the fingering scene, because I think with Vernita's competition, competitiveness with Felix, 
everybody that he brings home, she's on some level probably trying to also get dominance because, over. Because, okay, right, like, the fact that the three, these are three family members and they have a we're naked in the field together rule. Mm-hmm. I was like, what? What's what? I, I don't understand this. Like, why? Game of Thrones music plays. <laughs> yeah, like... There's got to be something weird because it just, like, I mean, maybe they're nudists and that's, like, they like that. But, like, we didn't get that and it just felt like, why are his brother and sister and cousin sitting next to each other so close and so naked and just like, yeah, this is what we do in the field. We get naked. Oh, yeah. And I think they were also (laughs) reading Harry Potter naked and Felix said, (laughs) do you think Harry, Ron, and Hermione fucked? Like, (laughs) and Farley was like, oh, yeah, they, like fucked all the time how could they not have so that was definitely it was in the air also i have to point out they play mgmt's i think it's electric feels and or is it time to pretend time to pretend yes and that is that and block party silent alarm are my two favorite albums and they play songs from both albums which is so nice (laughs) that is incredible quick if we're gonna do needle needle drop riddler trophies did you catch the five seconds of Mr. Brightside that made it into the movie. I didn't, There's no. There's a part, I think it's actually when they're, we're about to get to it, when Felix and Oliver are driving to Oliver's hometown, when they're in the Jeep, there's a certain moment where they're driving and you can hear some version of Mr. Brightside as well. They had some really good timepiece needle drops. You could tell that that the, the, the crew and the director really loved the, those mid-2000s, have a lot of nostalgia for that time. Mid-2000s, like, indie sleaze rock is, like, very my shit. <laughs> creme de la creme. <laughs> oh my god, creme de la creme indeed. You know what else is creme de la creme? This fucking awkward drive that oh my god. Oliver, This was like a horror movie! This was like a horror movie. Let's talk about this awkward drive with them. For our listeners, after... Oliver has his night with Farley. He gets him kicked out of the house. So Farley is now off the board. Oliver can get close to Felix. They have a couple more cute, ambiguous scenes together where their faces are to the point where it looks like they could be kissing, but they end up not kissing. The director does a lot of that, and it's glorious. Oliver is treated to a surprise road trip by Felix. Felix swoops in and says, oh, hey, I have a surprise for you for your birthday. Let's go. And the next couple of beats in the car are just probably my favorite part of the movie. And I want to get both of your thoughts on it. Like, what was going through both of your heads while they were writing to Oliver's parents? Very, very nice. Very well-kept house. Yeah, I think the way that Oliver panics when he realizes where they're going... It's like, oh, we're going to find out what's really going on here. And I mean, it's obviously a big turning point in the movie where things kind of start careening towards kind of climax endgame, stuff like that. But I, I also think I mentioned before that I think that there's a certain moment where it turns from I'm trying to weasel my way into being like with this guy to I'm going to take all their shit. And I think Mm. this is the scene that kind of breaks him because he's been caught in lies before, but this was a long standing lie that kind of shatters everything else. And obviously afterwards, Felix is like, you got to get the fuck out of my house. And so like he feels this desperation of the end. And I think this is the turning point where he goes, okay, actually a new plan. I'm going to kill all these fuckers and I'm going to take their house. I agree. I I fully agree with that. I think 
I think if Felix had been had reacted in a oh you lied okay and then fucked him it w- we still would have been okay but I do think <laughs> because Oliver knew Felix was not coming back from this because who could come back from this that he was like okay well now I know what I need to do I don't know that originally I feel like maybe he was like I'll just kill Felix and then he realized oh nope I got to kill them all I think I, this felt like a horror movie to me, this scene specifically, because it was like, no, no, oh God, like the moment I had thought there was an inkling of, did he lie? But he sold it so well that I was like, oh no, he's not lying about his dad. He like does have a fucked up family, but he's fucked up from his fucked up family is what I like got to. But then the moment he starts like, and I think this is also a credit to his acting is that freak out feels the most genuine thing he does throughout the entire movie. Like, that is a genuine, like, the character of Oliver is not pretending, he is genuinely, like, freaking out because he knows he's caught in this tremendous, awful lie, which my ex had a guy court him in this exact same way. No. And he found out the guy, yep. They bonded over having dead parents, and being, like, homeowners who, like, have trouble paying their bills, he found out the house this guy lived in belonged to his alive parents. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. Literally wait. sociopathic. Wait, 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 Ian, I got quite... How did he handle... <laughs> like, did he freak out? Did he Jacob a lordy flip? He, he just was like, I don't want to... He found out some other things that he was like, I don't want to talk to this guy anymore. And then slowly found out he had lied about like, he also said he was a doctor. He was not a doctor. And like basically called the guy on everything. And the guy did not handle it well. It is like a still ongoing crazy thing. Yeah. And so that's what I like, because I had just recently heard that story from my ex. I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is like what happened to him. Fuck. I don't know. I, I think that I, I the thing I love about it is that Jacob Elordi doesn't his character of Felix goes with it. Right. Like once they're there, he doesn't do anything with the parents. He's just like, oh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Like charming Oliver's parents. But, you know, he's, like, deep down fucking furious. He doesn't look at him, doesn't make eye contact with him. He is so fucking infuriated, this scene, and it's all through a smile. Yes. And that smile is, you never see that kind of smile for the rest of the movie, before or after. It's a completely, it's really expertly acted. They actually, in the talkback that we had, typically shouted out his acting in that scene as just, like, kind of masterclass, sort of, like, you can tell how fucking mad he is but that he's also going to wait until they leave to express that exactly. And he acts and it, actually picked perfectly. That. So yeah. also I wanted to bring up a point because again, I'm too online. Everyone keeps saying like, Oh, the eat the rich theme, like blah, blah, blah. I don't think that's the theme of this at all because Oliver is rich. Like when they get to his house, that is a very big, nice. I mean, it's not Saltburn castle, Dracula mansion, big, but it's like, a beautiful neighborhood, a very nice house. So I really think, if anything, that was, like, showing us that it was not the theme. Like, the theme was not Eat the Rich. Like, I think it was just, like, talented Mr. Ripley, infatuation, people are crazy, is what I think it was. I don't think they were, the theme of the movie was Eat the Rich. I mean, you guys went to a talk back, unless they did say that was the theme. But I feel like, if it is, that kind of undermines it because... Because Oliver, while not as rich as the Saltburn family, is still, like, well-off and has his happy family and has just, like, doesn't want to talk to them. 
I was just gonna say I don't think they made that the argument that the message was eat the rich, but because I feel like if they made that argument, I would have literally gone your your outfit's more expensive than my life, <laughs> and so it's kind of hard for you to say that. But maybe that is what was being said, and I just missed that. Charlie, do you wanna either back me up or refute me there? I don't want to refute you. I want to say going off of what Ian said. Ooh. I want to say that I don't think it's about eat the rich. I think it's a showcase for the cognitive dissonance of being rich because yeah, I think the yeah. the mom which is different character. The mom's character is the perfect encapsulation of that theme. Like the lunch yeah. scene that they have that we'll get to shortly after we talk about a couple more things, but I think the inability to just attach to what's actually happening outside of just the grandeur of where you live and where you shit and where you, you know, jerk off in the bathtub is showing that class can really disconnect people from their humanity and their truth and human connection and vulnerability. I also think it's about loneliness I think everybody in this film, Felix included, feels very lonely. That's ultimately, in my, through my perspective, what the movie's trying to say about people with this level of wealth. But yeah, yeah, that is what I got from it. Before we get too in the weeds, I want to move forward to, I call it the breakup scene, but really it's Oliver's clusterfuck of a birthday party with 200 people who don't even know that it's his birthday specifically. I still felt sorry for Oliver while this scene was happening, which is a testament to Barry's acting. Him just saying, Felix, can you just talk to me? I I just need you to look at me. And Felix saying, fuck off, you know, piss off. I don't want to talk to you. I think, to go off of your point, Ian, I'm going to push back your timeline of when he decided to kill the family. I don't think that it's when Felix took him to the parents' house. I think it's how he treated him at the birthday party. Yeah. Yeah. No, I would agree with that. Yes. Yeah. I think that it wasn't until Felix was like, oh, fuck off, fuck off, that he was like, oh, I'm grabbing some pills, I'm putting them in the bottle, and I'm definitely going to poison you in the maze. That that was what I meant by, like, if Felix had been like, well, you lied about your parents, whatever, we can fuck, he would have been fine. Right. Like, I do think if Felix had just been like, whatever about it then no one would have been murdered probably. But I do think, (laughs) yeah, because I, because I like to your point, I do think also Oliver was upset. Like he didn't want, I think he didn't want to. And I say this again with quotes, he didn't want to have to murder anyone, right? Like he would have preferred if Felix and him could have been like happily ever after and like whatever. I mean, I'm sure he would have found something else to be unhinged about, but I don't think it would have ended up where it was if Felix had been like, I get it. Do you want to kiss on your birthday? Uh, I think they Oliver would have been fine. <laughs> there's a fanfic I'd, out there somewhere. Somewhere. <laughs> Send somewhere it to me if you sure. find it. <laughs> yes, please. Yeah, it's Charlie and Steve watch stuff at gmail.com. Please. <laughs> not that, not... I'd like to, I'd actually like to yes and that. I actually think, and, and I'm skipping around a little bit, but oh. I, I actually kind of low-key think that he also kills Vernita because she talks shit. She talks so, like, we're skipping ahead to that scene, but she kind of has this, like, I, I see you. I, I like, I see exactly the worm that you are. Like, this, like, reading, this dressing down. And he's like, okay, I'm going to be right back. I'm going to grab a couple of razors, and we're going to take care of this really quick. Um, anyway, we can skip back to the party scene. And the only thing I really want to say about the party scene is just I, I found it very, 
one of the most valuable things about the talk back, I think, was just hearing about the logistics of that party scene and just kind of the logistics of shooting at that house in general. I think I can insert this now. Rosamund Pike actually lived at that house the entire time that they were shooting. I did read so that. She, I read that. So she yeah. got the shining treatment for sure. Like she got to kind of like encapsulate the character inside of the house. And I think she even kind of offhandedly admitted that Elspeth kind of stuck with her for a little bit after she left the house. So that's always an interesting thing to hear from actors that they like take characters with them after they're done working on it because they embody them so fully. And I'm sure that living in the place where you're also working on this like dark story kind of digs into you in a certain way that I can't understand, but it's certainly sounded like they had things to say about it. And just the logistics of this huge party scene. I mean, it's not the first party scene we've seen in movies, but I think this one was kind of especially well-crafted, well done. It felt very chaotic. I think the lighting was very dark and yet we saw a lot of shit going on. And they said that they only covered it with two units over the course of 48 hours, which if you know film, that's kind of bonkers that they did it with such a small amount of crew and really just one of the units was rolling around capturing B-roll and the other unit was capturing the stuff that they had written. Talk about skeleton crew kind of like coming through and being able to capture this incredibly woven party scene. So what, what did you guys, what did you capture from those, that party scene? The thing I liked about it was that I did feel Oliver's panic, right? And like you said, Charlie, it's a credit to his acting that I did feel a little bad for him, even though it's like he fucking lied about having a dead parent, which is such an unhinged thing to lie about. But I did still feel like, oh, I just, but like, can we get past, even though like, I don't, I probably wouldn't be able to get past that if I found out a friend had lied about that. Like, like, how do you trust any other thing that comes out of their mouth? Right. Like, (laughs) right. Yeah, it, it's absurd. It's balls to the walls bonkers. Yeah, I definitely, I felt sorry for him. And even the scene, like when he follows Felix into the middle of the maze yeah. and they have that scene together, I think that Jacob Elordi and Barry elevated that material because in the script, it literally says that Felix is disgusted and feels pity. But... I saw more emotions than that flickering through Jacob Elordi's face when that scene happened. I saw a little fear for his own life, if I'm not mistaken, flash through his face when Oliver just charged him and said, I gave you what you wanted. You just needed to save somebody. You needed to, you know, fix a broken thing. I think that that was the first scene that Felix fully saw the desperation and just the mess that Oliver is and it just so happened right before he drank the spiked champagne it's also the first time that any of this stuff has ever been said straight to his face every Ooh. every it, that this is all information that Oliver's been taking in from other people about Felix things that people think about Felix that I think that they're either too afraid to say about him or they just don't want to like stir up that nest because he kind of runs like he kind of runs the place like he's the one who's bringing all these people in or telling them to go it's not anybody else really and if it is it doesn't really have anything to do with them so I actually think that he's seeing Oliver for the desperate sociopath that he is But he's also being dressed down in a way that I think he recognizes that he maybe thinks about himself, but no one's ever had the guts to say straight to his face. And I actually think that that's part of the reason why he so willingly takes a swig of that drink, because he's like, this guy's crazy 
And also, I just got told something about myself that I think I feel really heavily, so I'm going to take a sip of this drink because I need to take a moment for myself because of that. Yes, yes, and to what you said, he saw Oliver for who he was. He had a come-to-Jesus moment with his own place in the world. Then on top of that, I'm sure that another thought he had was, wait a minute, how many people like Oliver am I surrounded by? Is everybody lying all the time? And what are they lying okay. about? Oh, yes, and. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think there was a moment when Felix almost kissed him. Like, really? They, have, they get so close. For, while they're arguing, their faces are so close while they're at that statue, which I read that that statue, which is like a devil minotaur thing, was molded after Barry Keegan, which I love. And they get so close when they're yelling at each other. And I forget... It's before he hands them the bottle, I think. And, like, Jacob O'Lordy is, like, like you said, it's like he's fearing for his... And I don't know that it's fearing for his life, but he's afraid of him. But he's also, like, I think there's, like, actual sexual tension there because Felix leans in for, like, one second, like, leans in closer and then leans back. And I think it was that thing where he's, like, Oliver almost gets dominance over Felix in that scene. Almost. Interesting. And I think, again... And I feel like if he had, then he wouldn't have handed him the bottle. If, like, Felix had folded and was like, yeah, 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 let's fuck. Oliver would have been like, great, don't drink this bottle. <laughs> <I'll get us laughs> and we're good. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. He would have been like, pour one out. Pour one out for my birthday. All Here, right, give so- this to the girl that you're hooking up with. Not, don't you drink it, though. Yeah, where's Farley? Where's Farley? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I can see that. That scene is, ooh, I think that that is now my favorite scene in the movie just because of how you're able to project onto it so readily with all those colors that we just mentioned. I just, I, I, I have been a very unhinged gay man in when I was 19 or 20 and surrounded by straight men. So Yeah, yeah, it, we go places. <laughs> Pressing forward into the third act, like obviously anyone who's listening to this knows that Oliver poisons the champagne, Felix is found dead in the maze, and we get this incredible incredible lunch scene where one of the footmen is struggling to close the curtains and they're all just talking about the shepherd's pie and the room is just filled with this blood red and vernita is pouring wine until it pours over the glass and the mom doesn't know what to do with herself and farley is the only one feeling actually I'm going to pause on Farley for a second. Yes, and to what you said about Farley earlier, Ian, Farley definitely clocked his crazy in Oliver, but I think Farley has a heart. Yes. Farley Farley has a heart, and I think Farley has it in him to be cruel. I don't know if he has the ambition to be as calculated as Oliver was. I think that the difference between them is that Farley is not calculating. He can be calculating to an extent, but not to Oliver's extent. And I also don't think that he's a sociopath. He just has a very wicked tongue that can just spit the truth. And I think this scene shows it with him unable to contain his grief and feeling the most out of everyone. What do you both think? I think Farley, like all of them, are too comfortable. 
And it's really his undoing in this scene because he was so comfortable with the situation that even though he does clock Oliver and he is able to say the truth in that moment and try and express his grief, Oliver has that trick up his sleeve of being like, well, you're the one with all of those drugs in your room on the night that somebody died. And that's what ultimately gets him out, which I, again, like Ian was talking about if Felix had said, okay, you're right, let's fuck, then no one ever dies. I think if... Farley keeps his mouth shut and goes along with what the parents want in that moment. Oliver never says that thing and gets him kicked yeah. out of the house. And I actually, I, I don't know how you guys felt about this and I've heard differing opinions. Actually, I was, I, I'm surprised when people say that they didn't know that, like, I, I was like, Oh, Oliver killed him. Like that was, it just felt very clear to me that Oliver killed him. He's like, he's the only one who's kind of not struggling at that scene which only to me lent more that he's like being way too cool about it. And so, but other people read it as like, oh, I didn't realize that it was him until the very end when they revealed it. Did you guys, Steve, did you go, I was one of those people. Were you one of those people? Yeah. I was Oliver just like, oh yeah, he's fucking killing me. him now. He, that's awesome. He fooled me. Which is the, the point, time which I is definitely the point. It. Yeah. I, I would have been one of the people in the Saltburn house that Oliver would have been able to, but that's just my nature. <laughs> I want to see the best in people, but you would have spit on his hand and it was over for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, same. Let's be real. <laughs> yeah, let's be real. I would have been like, I, I would have been like, oh, yeah, sure. Uh, but yeah, sure. You're fine. You're fine. You can stay. Let's throw him a birthday party. I thought that Felix killed himself. I thought that he committed suicide because the weight of what Oliver revealed about his place in the world was too crushing. I will say the one thing I was waiting for was because we don't see his body and I thought they were doing that on purpose. I thought it was going to be like suddenly we get an image of like he's impaled on something or like his face had been bashed in and I I had assumed Oliver killed him but I was just like ooh, is it something super gruesome? Is that why we're not seeing the body? Because it was like even from when the family goes to it we see it like from the body's point of view kind of. Mm. So I I was like, ooh, is there gonna be like something really awful? Like his body's disfigured. But no, it was just that he was poisoned and fell over. But like the thing I was waiting for was like some kind of like horror movie murder reveal. So the thing that made me not think suicide, because I think that's what they want you to think, is that he was in the same place as where that conversation happened. If he had ended up in a, not necessarily like with that sort of blunt force trauma, but if he had ended up literally anywhere else than that maze, I would have been more likely to be like, oh, he wandered off and then something bad happened right, right, right. to himself rather than like he died in the same place where they had that conversation. It just felt too together for me. Like, how does no one clock that? Yeah. But that's just me. Right. I'm also cynical. Right. Yeah. It's it's so funny. I, I think there's a lot of, oh my God. I want to talk about this now in the Poker Face writer's room. Be like, what would Charlie Kale think about this? This is a very vicious way for Felix to be taken out of the picture. And I think what follows just reveals Oliver more and more. Like, not only does he then go on to, like, fully stick his dick inside of Felix's grave and pump into the ground with it... Which we found out at the talkback that there were a certain amount of thrusts that they were allowed to do before the rating had to change to NC-17. And that number is 11. <laughs> so, wow. Such a weird... You got 10 thrusts and that's it. That's yeah. so weird that that's like... 
they did say that this was the scene that they had to fight for the most as well hmm. which probably it was the end scene that was barry keegan's idea right to go fully naked there was like some i there was like one of the scenes where you see his dick i read that it was like his idea <laughs> mm-hmm. smart man yeah which also jumping ahead to that last scene good for him and that's all yes. i'll say but <laughs> yeah. going back i i think the scene where he fucked the grave i was in the screening for that back in last month and the person sitting behind me when he started thrusting into the dirt said the fuck am i watching <laughs> and the whole theater started laughing <laughs> but yeah it was just it was so that i did not find sexy i found it absurd but also brilliant and amazing and really funny in a dark twisted way which i think was the intention oh yeah yeah well also i just think that scene just for me is like the end of like closing the case on he was infatuated with him there was no he didn't want to not that he had to but he didn't want his hand to be forced to have to kill him because he was and i think it's what he says at the beginning i loved him but was i in love with him it's like he was so infatuated that it wasn't really love but like he wasn't doing that for anyone else right like it's not like people were watching that was for him right because he wanted to fuck him and he was like so infatuated with this guy that he could get off fucking the like dirt he's buried in which shows what a sociopath he is because to him that was like you know he's sitting there crying whose thought is this was someone i was in love with well i know what i could do to feel about this. <laughs> like who has that thought and for me that just shows like how unhinged he is how he doesn't know what love is but he thinks he knows and felix was the object of his affection which, whatever way you look at it, Felix was the object of his affection because I don't think he's coming in dirt at a gravesite to, like, make people believe, like, who who's watching that he needs to do right. that for? So for me, that was, like, because that was, like, his brain was, like, yes, this is the thing you do now because I'm so, like, lost in my grief. That, like, proved to me that, like, okay, even though he killed him, he still was, like fully infatuated with him and that was not his plan all along was was not to kill him i agree with that i think he's i think he's grieving that lost like this is what i could have had and i and i never got it so i'm gonna just kind of close that door and i'm gonna continue with where i am now i was just gonna ask you if because you said that you had that somebody interject during your screening did you hear and it might have been during this scene i think it was somewhere towards the end did you hear the woman behind us go, is this supposed to be art? Did oh, you damn. not hear that? Oh, yeah. Someone oh, yeah. sitting right behind I, us said that. And I chuckled. I was like, all right, well, that person's net worth is more than mine, probably. You know what? I I think we are allowed to enjoy movies with fucked up characters. Like, I don't have to morally agree with everybody yes. that I see on screen. Also, that would be boring. Like, I'd argue this is I the only enjoy... place you can get away with it. This is the only place you can get away with it. Like, I want to see people be fucked up on screen. I don't want to see it done in a shabby way. I want to see it done with the... And I'll talk about the script on a whole when we get to the end. But I, yeah, I think highly of the way that this film and that character were executed. But 
everybody's entitled to their opinion, you know? You can't really get away with being like, yeah, me and OJ, bros. Oh, no. You gotta get away with it for a fictional character. You can. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a thing that I always, like... Again, I'm too extremely online, but, like, when people are like, like, yes, I love that Oliver was, like, a fucking queer sociopath villain. Yes, I love that. Like, give me more of, like, nuanced characters. I love, I don't know, I, you know, the argument I had a lot around when It Part 2 came out, when people were like, well, gay people are allowed to be chilled in movies, too, and it's like, right, but, like, does the gay couple have to be hate-crimed? Like, they could be murdered, mm. but does it have to be that they're, like, beat up and murdered because they're gay? Right. Like, that feels like we don't need it. But something like this, where it's like, he is a gay sociopath, or queer sociopath, pansexual, bisexual, however, like, clearly we know that it's he's probably not 100% straight. And I just, I find that interesting, and I don't love when people feel characters have to be, like, morally upstanding. I mean, I encounter this a lot covering Buffy. There's, you know, I think the reason, Charlie, I feel like you can probably agree, the reason we love these characters is because they are flawed. They're not just perfect. They're flawed, and all of them are. And, like, people, and this is in all fandoms, I'm sure, but, like, when people interact, usually it's someone that doesn't follow me, it's like they will pick and choose what flaws that they think makes that character, you can never forgive them, but then we'll apply it to a different character. And it's like, but... They're all flawed. That's why we love this show, because no one is perfect. You know, we just covered a season three episode called Beauty and the Beast. Mm. Buffy has a talk with the girl that's being abused by her boyfriend. And the thing I like about it, not that I like what she says, but she does not say the right things. She doesn't. A woman who's being abused. And I, for me, that feels more real. Like, it's like, yes, Buffy can be flawed. And she's just like pissed and annoyed. So she says these shitty things to this like, poor teen girls being abused, and for me, I like a character that can do that. I like that it's like, yeah, she's being an asshole, and for me, that reads more real than someone being like, we need to catch this murderer, let's sit down and talk about it, because, like, she would be pissed and annoyed, even though this is a terrible way to, like, channel it. I like when a character isn't always just, like, morally perfect. Yeah. Also, to go off what you said, Ian, I like when a character has such a defined reality that that reality determines how they're going to react to everything around them. For example, I know exactly what scene you're talking about when Buffy says, oh, you want to know the secret to never getting abused? Don't get hit. To Buffy, in her reality, that is true because she was born to be a killer. So that's very valid for her. But for her to say that to a girl without super strength... And without fight training is deeply insensitive, but I get why somebody like Buffy would say that. Willow wouldn't say that. Cordelia wouldn't say that because they're not slayers and they're not going through all this trauma. But tangent, listen to Ian's podcast. It's amazing. (laughs) But yeah, so moving on past that grave scene, we have the scene where Oliver leaves the razor blades for Vernita. Vernita ends up dressing him down calling him spider-man but she still kisses him back when he moves in to make things sexual what do we think that was about i mean i think it's like there was still tension right right and she i think it's almost like whatever the version of kissing would be of a hate fuck where it's like 
she does kind of hate him, but she does think he's hot, and he does still have a little bit of, like, sexual control over her. Like, she's still... I, I think it, it's something where it's like, you know, you hate someone so much you kind of want to have sex with them, I guess. And that's what I think it was, where it's like he does still have that, like, sexual hold on her, but she does hate him. She does want him out of her life. Yeah, that's that's how I read it. I don't know. No, I agree, and I'd like to mention that I, I think at this point everything that he, Oliver is doing is an attempt at an assertion of dominance and to keep himself as much in the picture as possible. So he's covering his contingency plans, which I think he did with Felix, which I think he did with Farley already, where he's like, okay, this option hasn't worked. I'm going to go to this option. So I think he walks up with the razor blades a little threateningly to, again, try and assert dominance. She doesn't give a shit. She's drunk. She's talking shit. She tries, he tries to use the sexual angle because he knows that works one time. It works for a second. And then she's like, no, wait, fuck you. And fuck the horse that you rode in on. And then I think at that moment he goes, okay, well, I have her in the perfect position where it's going to look like his sad sister killed herself in the bathtub after drinking a bottle and a half of wine or two bottles of wine or whatever. So I, I think that there was, again, that progression of like, this play at dominance didn't work. This play at dominance didn't work. I'm out of options. So now this is the route that I see in front of me. Yeah. yeah also, do we think he, he actually slit her wrist or he just like knew she was drunk and depressed and kind of, like, pushed her to, like... Oh, like I think he definitely... I think he pushed her toward it. I would even say I would love to be a fly on the wall for this conversation. I think that he, much like when he told her what she was and wasn't going to eat, I think that he, very devil on the shoulder, coursed her into doing yeah. it. I think that there were definitely words exchanged. And I, I would even say that to save face she was like oh fuck you you fucking psycho get out of this room get out of the bathroom right now he left and then she slit her wrist i can see that yeah yeah i i think i think he did it probably out yeah you think he did it because he killed everyone else physically i mean he did yeah cold cold world no blanket so yeah i definitely and i what's very interesting backtracking slightly before we go to the very end of the movie the scene where Elsbeth is kind of coming to reality and expressing some healthy grief for her son and saying, oh, River, what a silly middle name. You never think that when you give your kids a name that you'll have to put it in a gravestone one day. And that's really, and it's the only, only moment in the movie where she isn't la 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 in the clouds and just talking about, you know, plates or a party or bitching about somebody. And Oliver crushes it. He says, oh, what font did you use for the grave? Times New Roman, great choice. And that is what sets Sir James, the dad, to just think, oh, I need to get him the fuck out of this house. And also puts a really bad taste in Fernita's mouth. But yeah, he gets kicked out of the house and that's really sad or air quote sad then we catch up with him when he runs into Elsbeth all grown up and she immediately welcomes him back with open arms years later because her partner the father of Felix and Vernita has died so he's out of the picture and we flash forward again to Oliver being written into the will 
for Saltburn, and we realize that Elsbeth is the person he's been speaking to this entire time, and he murders her after telling her how he has been pulling strings this entire time. Did this scene blow your mind when it happened? I mean, it didn't blow my mind, but I was like, Jesus Christ, he is, like, a villain villain. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was more of, like, a satisfying confirmation of what I, like, kind of figured was happening. Did we... Did they give, like, context for how her health declined? Because I feel like he also had a hand in that, like, especially after he was written into the will. Like, the fact that she's even in the hospital bed in the first place. Or are we just supposed to read it as, like, she just makes it to also old, ailing age, and he's just there to take over? Because he doesn't waste any time pulling that tube straight out of her throat which was i felt that in my chest i i see it's like weird right because i i think there's something like a part of him kind of liked elspeth because he did take care of her while she was like Mm. i i mean like he could have just like murdered her the way he murdered all the rest of them but like one assumes i mean he was there and her you know she was in perfect health when he got there so he had to have been like taking care of her or at least i mean i guess they're so rich that it's like making sure people are taking care of her i don't know i almost feel like he was like he adopted her as his like mommy figure but then Mm. once he was done with her it was like all right i'm done let's pull this like tube out of you because i'm done taking care of you yes and to that i agree because after he disconnects her he tries to throw her arm over him to give him a hug yeah but the arm is like dead and deflated which also psycho but that that supports <laughs> yeah. your theory that he saw her as a maternal figure. And also they were romantic with each other as well. Like they were, I mean, whatever. It's ambiguous, I think. Th- yeah, it's left ambiguous. I, I kind of head tilted at that. That's pretty much it. Then we get that glorious scene to Murder on the Dance Floor, which I've been listening to a lot since this movie dropped because it's a fucking bop i've never heard before uh, what did we think of that nude dance through the house i mean obvious aside of it just being a spectacular feast for the eyes and to quote one of my favorite show scrubs the todd appreciates hot no matter the gender <laughs> and so but the one moment that i liked the most which was kind of like oliver's little victory like i'm on the top of the i'm rocky on the top of the stairs pumping my fists is when he plays that little marionette box or whatever that thing is with the four rocks of the deceased family members on top of it, just kind of showing that he has dominated this family and he is the victor of this fucked up story. I thought yeah. that was like a very like pitch perfect way to kind of close the story yeah. and be like, oh, this is what this turned out to be. I agree. Yeah, I thought it was great. And also it weirdly put me on his side. Like it was, mm. he was fucked up for doing everything he did. But there's something about seeing a villain delight in their villainy and just enjoy themselves, letting it all hang out that I'll never get tired of. So, well, that's actually, a, I, I feel like this is a good place to talk about this. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm interrupting you. Were you rooting no, for no. him the entire time? Like, were you rooting for Oliver throughout the movie? Because I found myself rooting for him the entire time, even while he was doing the fucked up things, because I liked him more than the people that he was with 
even though he had some very dark sides and some very obviously, like, I liked the game that he was playing. I wanted him to win whatever game he was playing. I didn't realize that's how he was going to win. But at the end of it, I felt satisfied in the fact that I felt the person who deserved to win won, even though it was a messed up journey. And that might say something about me, but I don't have therapy <laughs> till Wednesday. So I, because of how I am, my brain just kept being like, but if Felix and Oliver could just fuck, solve all the issues of the movie. <laughs> me too. Me too. That's all I Get wanted. Felix some of that. I was like, I, I was looking at it like, oh, Oliver's so close. I wish it were me. But <laughs> just, yeah, that's, so it, it kind of, I felt that way until he fucked the grave. But then when he fucked the grave, I was like, oh, too much. But at that point, I still didn't think that he killed Felix. I just thought that mm. Felix killed himself. But as soon as he stuck his dick in the grave, I was like, nah, done. And he won me over with murder on the dance floor all over <laughs> again. It was a great victory lap. I really enjoyed it as a victory lap. Yeah. No yeah. matter how you view the victory. And that's it on Saltburn. Let's jump into rating this. So we can start with you, Ian. Out of... So we use we usually use batarangs when we're talking about Batman, but we're going to use cocktails this time. So what would you give Saltburn in terms of a five cocktail rating? Like, what would you five rate cocktails. it? Five cocktails. Five. Five? Okay. Five out of five. Yep. It was Woo! one of my favorite movies of 2023. Like, it's like Barbie and Saltburn were my favorite movies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think the, the like, the way I've been talking about it with people who maybe didn't like it, I'm like, I, I get, uh, there's a lot of things, right? It's, it is a little bit messy, but, like, the vibes are delicious, <laughs> like, and everyone's hot. Mm-hmm. Steve? Amen. I'm, I'm gonna give Saltburn four and a half cocktails. It's not often that I, like, really want to dive back into another movie and see the things that I've missed, but I definitely want to do that, even more so after having this conversation, I'm going to be on a fucking doppelganger hunt after this for sure. So yeah, four and a half cocktails for me. I'm going to give it five cocktails. It's my first five rating on Charlie and Steve watch stuff. Huzzah. Can't believe we made it. We're here. Super excited to have watched this movie more. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's funny. I wouldn't have given this movie that rating if i'd only watched it once watching it a second time knowing knowing what's coming heightens the experience so much and i'm so excited for you steve right on very cool well that's gonna do it for this episode of charlie and steve watch stuff it was a, a pleasure to go through our first non-batman piece of content we just got real deep into Saltburn for you are this was not only was this our first non-batman podcast this was easily the longest podcast that we've ever recorded so <laughs> i want to say a very special thank you to ian for joining us on charlie and steve watch stuff ian one more time if you could just throw out where they can follow you the shows that they can find you on and we'll make sure that we have all of all of those links in our show notes that they can go find as well well, it's been an honor, and I'm flattered to be your first non-Batman uh, guest and on your longest episode. Uh, you can find me on all social media platforms at IanXCarlos. Uh, you can find SlayerFest98 on all podcasting platforms and all social media platforms at SlayerFestX98. 
Same with My Bloody Judy, and we are at My Bloody Judy on all social platforms. Beautiful. Thank you all for joining us. Have a good rest of your day, and you know what? A little dirty bathwater never hurt nobody. Later. (laughs) Bye. Bye, everybody.